Thank you, June, for Be Thou My Vision for the Offertory. It's such a beautiful hymn. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty gain. Christ, my inheritance now and always. Such a great hymn. Paul had proved that the gospel he preached in Galatia was the true gospel sent from God through Jesus Christ and that he was no secondary apostle. Paul was not the B team. He was as commissioned and authoritative as the original apostles in Jerusalem were, which meant that when Peter himself acted hypocritically and out of step with the truth of that gospel, Paul could confront him to his face. And in verses 11 through 14 of chapter 2, that's exactly what he did. Now that Jesus Christ had lived, died on the cross, risen from the grave, gone back to the Father in heaven, no one, especially an old covenant Jewish person, had any right or reason to even make it seem like you could be made right with God through your obedience to the law. And this incident that happened here provides uh, Paul the occasion to give his thesis statement for the letter to the Galatians in these verses that follow this morning. There's nothing less intuitive to the natural human person than the fact that God will not justify people based on their behavior, based on their works. And there's nothing more counterintuitive than that He will justify only and completely through the righteousness of another person on our behalf. We must die to our attempt to become right with God by obeying the law, by doing good works, and live by faith in Jesus Christ alone for all of our salvation. One of the commentaries I read said it like this, Christ will do everything for you, or He will do nothing for you. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read from Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Galatians 2, beginning at 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that you would send your Spirit to reveal your Son, Jesus Christ, and the absolutely authoritative truth of His Gospel to us so that we might believe in you to provide everything you require. I pray for your mercy on me. I pray, Father, that you would overshadow me and my selfish desires as a preacher so that Christ would shine on all of us in this place. 
And I pray that you would open every mind to hear and believe your word today. Father, I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And you may be seated. Verses 15 and 16 are an extension, more or less, of what Paul said to Peter. Let me read them again. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. What's he saying? Peter should know that even though he's not one of those dirty Gentile sinners, you see what Paul is doing here, No one is justified by works of the law, but only by faith in Christ. These verses lay out the gospel that Paul preaches. None of those who sought to become righteous enough for God through the law, none of them, not even Paul, the best of them, had ever been able to do so. So why was Peter being loyal to the law at this point? Why was he acting like Not just that you had to obey it, but that you could obey it. And since a person, you see what he does, a person in verse 16, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter, is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says, we've cast ourselves on the same hope these Gentiles have then, on Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. All humanity is in the same boat. We are all individual persons in need of God's grace justification, being made right with God, is not something God does to us over time if we do enough good works. We don't obtain it. God does it to us. The verb justify occurs eight times in Galatians, and it means to declare righteous. That's what the word means. And it's linked in Galatians. It's linked in Romans 4, 5 through 8, for example, with the forgiveness of sins. So the only thing that makes a person right with God is faith in Jesus Christ to forgive us of all our sin, whereby He provides for us the righteousness we lack by crediting it to our account, the perfect righteousness of Jesus. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. We're made right with God because God declares that we're right with Him because we have believed on His Son. We're never made right with God by doing good works or trusting in those good works to save us. And when Paul talks about, when he uses that word, a person not being justified by the works of the law, he doesn't, he's not talking about something like, I just mean legalism about the law, or I just mean Jewish boundary markers. He means All that the law actually commands, all of it, the works of the law, none of it will make us righteous enough for God to accept us. In verse 16, righteousness is now available to everyone in this new age that Christ has brought through faith. Apart from the law, whether a person is a Jew or a Gentile, Paul's point here is the need for faith in Christ regardless of one's ethnicity regardless of one's good works. There are two reasons he gives to believe in Jesus Christ in this verse. Believe in Him, number one, in order to be justified, and believe in Him because no one is justified by their works. Obeying food laws, which was the case here, will not make you right with God. Circumcision will not make you right with God. No law can make us right with God. 
Paul is laying out the fact that there's one option. There's one way for us to be made right with God. And we need to listen to Paul. To attempt to be made right with God by our own obedience is a fool's errand. And Paul would know. If anybody would know that, it would be Paul. It won't work. There's a reason Paul says elsewhere in Philippians 3 that he counts all of the righteousness he had gained under the law as worthless. A total loss. I mean, isn't it it some good? Isn't it better than... No. He counts it all as loss. In fact, he says that he suffered the loss of all things and counts them as rubbish. So it's not that he's just not using them as an offering to God for His righteousness. He doesn't even consider them good enough for that. They're all rubbish, he says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I don't want that righteousness as an offering to God determining whether or not I can be made right with Him. I don't want it. I don't want it counted. I want it counted as garbage, as rubbish. I want the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, he says. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Look at verse 17 here. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now, this is vintage Paul. You see what Paul is doing here? He's anticipating the rejections he will get to the gospel. The arguments people will raise to what he's saying. He knows what people are going to say. He knows how they're going to try to get around it. Because Paul is aware of what the gospel sounds like when it's preached clearly and boldly. In Romans 6, one, Paul says, What shall we say then, based on what I've said? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. Now, why did Paul say that? Why did Paul say, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? The reason Paul said that is because Paul had been preaching the gospel for five chapters. And when you preach the gospel biblically, it sure sounds like what you're saying is continue in sin so that grace may abound. It's that free. It's that good. God will just keep giving you more grace. He covers all of it. He's forgiven all your sin. He's declared you righteous by faith, not by works. And so the human mind, because it can't handle that, is going to say, so are you saying that we should just keep sinning then? It doesn't matter. No. Who says that? Right? You see, it's a, it's a straw man argument. Paul knows it's there. That's what people are going to say because they're desperate to justify themselves by their works. So he anticipates the rejections. He anticipates the argument. That's, that's how a person knows they're actually preaching the gospel according to the Bible. When people respond to it by saying, now wait a minute, are you saying that we should continue in sin? So that grace may abound? No, that is not what the gospel is saying. It's, it's not saying keep sinning so that grace will keep abounding to you. But it is saying, because we are sinful and cannot make ourselves right with God by our works, even after you're saved, you'll continue to receive grace for your sin. If that's not true, who's going to heaven? Like, why would you argue that? That would be insane. 
What has Paul anticipated here in Galatians? The objection from his opponents that would say, so becoming a Christian makes you a sinner then, Paul. Because you're not following the law. If there's no law, then how are you going to be righteous? So is is Jesus actually then a servant of our sin? Because He frees us from the law? The need to obey it? Without law, how do we know what's righteous, Paul? How does a Christian know what they're supposed to do and not do if not for the law? He gets into that in chapter 3 right away. But here, Paul says, certainly not. Christ is not the servant of sin because those who are in Him continue to struggle with sin. Because, for, in verse 18... For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. You see that? How do you, how do you prove you're a transgressor? If I rebuild what I tore down, that's how I prove myself to be a transgressor. Beloved, do we realize what actually constitutes breaking the law now that Christ is risen from the dead? Do we understand how we would make Christ a servant of sin? if we revert to trying to make ourselves right with God by obeying the law, it only increases our sinfulness. It only increases our sin. And Paul says, I already tore down the law as a means of being made right with God. If he set it back up, then he would be a transgressor. Right? One who breaks the law. For in Christ alone, Paul is saying, he is righteous. He needs nothing else. With the resurrection of Jesus, the old covenant is no longer our authority. So to reestablish it is to go against God's will and be a transgressor. Beloved, it is a horrible and serious thing to even imply that God's way of justifying sinners by grace through faith alone leads to sin. That if you preach that, With no qualifications, it's actually going to cause more sin. The Bible says exactly the opposite. Why do we tolerate teaching that is anti-biblical? The law led to sin. The law increased sin. Romans 5.20 It's law that will increase our capacity to sin. Not grace. Grace washes sin away. I need to say this again when... Like when we started out this series, grace is not the enemy. This is a matter of what God declares. If He says that justification in Christ by grace through faith alone does not make Christ the servant of sin, then Christ is not the servant of sin. Right? What happened to the Word said it, I believe it, that settles it? Which that, that could change, the Word said it, that settles it, doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, Right? The Word is the Word. We have to adjust our eyes by faith to how God counts us righteous in Christ and just accept the fact that that's what He says. Why do we try to be more righteous than God? I know that you've justified us by grace through faith alone, but grace can get out of hand. It causes problems. People won't do what they're supposed to do if you just talk about grace all the time. Yeah, that's Antichrist. That's Antichrist. It's false. It's unbiblical. Justification in Christ apart from works does not make Christ the servant of sin. That's not what's happening when we continue to struggle with it. We don't sin because we don't have, we're not under the law. That's not why we sin. We don't continue to struggle with sin because God's grace is irresponsible. 
We continue to struggle with sin because our fallen flesh never stops waging war against our redeemed soul. It's not God's fault. Do you see what we're saying? If we, if, if you use this grace thing, from whom? God? We cannot save ourselves through works. That's what we can't accept and must accept. We cannot save ourselves or become righteous through works. That's not how it works. And most of the time when Christians are obsessed with works, it's because, like the Judaizers in 2.4, they cannot handle the fact that we are free from the law. It's dangerous. You can't do that. You can't say that. You can't preach it too much. It will increase sin. No, it won't. So people try to dress up their desire to be righteous through their works by making it like, I'm trying to defend God's honor. I want to be serious. I want to be... I just don't want God to be taken advantage of. You can't outrighteous Him. You, you, you can't do it. You can't take advantage of You can't win. God wins. You will never do a single work that will satisfy God more than His Son's blood and His Son's righteousness. Not one. So bathe in it. Bathe in grace. Stop navel-gazing yourself and everybody else, and then we will cease to be servants of sin if we could believe the gospel. When we keep trying to use the law as a means of righteousness, we actually become transgressors. We can't keep it enough. If the law comes to us, we won't be able to keep all of it. And in order to be righteous by the law, you have to keep all of it. You you aren't just like grandfathered in, like, well, you kept like 30% of it. That's really good. It's good enough. That's not the way the law works. Right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an entire testimony. An entire singular covenant. Every quest to follow one law and obey it leads to breaking it in other places. So what are we to do then? Look to Christ. If you were to obey all of it, but mess up one part of it, then you're guilty of breaking all of it. Look to Christ. Paul says, I don't want a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Get it away from me. But the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Those are two kinds of righteousness and only one will justify. That quest that we're all on to prove we're righteous by the law, who can be more serious, who can be more dedicated, who can be more committed, is to deny that all righteousness that God accepts comes completely through faith and never by works. That has to get down into our practice. You you can't just confess that and take pride in being a Protestant. It has to get down into our blood, into our bones. Nothing I do is going to make me right with God. We don't believe that if we keep trying to prove our righteousness, we don't believe that righteousness comes just through faith if we keep trying to prove our righteousness by obeying the law. All justification, all righteousness, all grace flows to us from our union with Christ when we believe. All of it. 
Yeah, but, but James says faith without works is dead. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Faith without works is dead. But that is not the same thing. And it, it's, it is not the same thing as saying that faith plus works equals justification. That's not what faith without works is dead means. Faith in Christ will produce good works. They'll be there. They should be there. They do not justify. They do not justify. And if faith, if we want to, well, you got to nuance it. See, if, if, if faith justifies because of works, then works have the power to justify, not faith. This was the fight in the Reformation. This was the fight. We don't realize sometimes how, how Catholic we sound. We just don't speak Latin. Right? We, we, we say, well, faith that is like, does stuff. No. No. That's what they say. That's not what we say. Faith alone, apart from works, justifies. Would turn Paul's whole argument on its head if we try to tweak that at all. Faith in Christ alone completely saves. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. That's why the thief on the cross is in paradise. Beloved, that's why he's there. Alright, it's not just like, well, again, oh, that was nice of Jesus to do that. No! He's there for you and me! So that when we hit our pillow at night, we realize, I, I, it's all Him. It's all Christ. It's all Christ. Never once has that made me want to go sin. I hate my sin. I hate it. Beloved, in Revelation 14, 13, the works of those who die in the Lord, they're there. Amen. They're there. But they follow us into heaven. They're behind us. We can't even see them. When the sheep and the goats are divided... In the book of Matthew, into the sheep, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Go back to that text. Who were the good and faithful servants? What, what did they talk like? They didn't even know what they did. Nobody was keeping a record. Nobody had a catalog. Nobody had a spreadsheet. When did I, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you? Wait a minute. When did we, when were you in prison and we clothed you? I was just living my life. Right. The spirit was in you, not the law producing fruit. You see, Paul is not saying, he's not disputing whether the law is holy and righteous and good. It is. Paul is not disputing whether or not a Christian should do good works. They should. He is disputing the claim of the false teachers and anyone else who claims a sinner is justified, finally and fully made right with God by anything more or less than Christ. That's the dispute. And we have to make the distinction again and again and again and again. It is my conviction that I have to make that distinction every time I stand in front of you. And I need it as much as I think you need it. Probably more. Because I don't want to get struck by lightning up here. Right? Take your eyes off of yourself. Stop. Why in the world do people want to argue this? Why do we feel the need to qualify 
grace as though God needs our contribution in order to keep Him in check. Because that, if, when you have a belief of, of conviction or whatever, follow it out to its, to its unavoidable conclusion. That's where you go to war. Don't, don't just say things and think they're true and that's what I... Follow them out. What does this conclusion of mine, what does it imply? Follow it out and then go to work. Go to war. Let the Spirit work and cut and dig and heal. It's not somehow more righteous to clamor to make sure people know they better be doing good works. They better obey the law. That's to prove yourself to be a transgressor because the more we require, the less we obey. That's who we are. Again, in Hosea, that we're going through Hosea on Sunday nights by now, Hosea says, this is who you are because you come from Adam. So he encompasses all humanity in that kind of stubborn behavior. And Israel was saying in the time of Hosea, we, we don't need grace. We, we can look at our deeds. That's what's washed our iniquity away. They, they said, that's Hosea, that's what people have always done. Abide in Christ. He will make you bear fruit. Stop worrying about it. Why do we obsess? It's just impossible to rest. It's just impossible to rest. Why do we qualify God? Like who do we think we are? That goes all the way back to the garden. We were never meant to be the ones that determine what is good and evil. We aren't good at it. God is good at it. And it's been in our DNA since the garden. I know what's best. I know what's right. I know what's good for me. No, we don't. Especially when it comes to what makes us right with God. We're horrible at figuring that out. Why do we qualify? Because we haven't died yet to our need to justify ourselves. And of this, we must also repent. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Nobody talks like Paul. Nobody talks about the law like Paul does. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. In other words, that I might be alive in the sight of God. Because if I try to live to God through the law, I'll only ever be dead to Him. You see what he's saying? As Paul has reasoned elsewhere, Romans 7, the commandments brought death. In 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. The law could not bring life. Galatians 3, 21, it kills. Since the law cannot give what it demands, it cannot give the righteousness it requires, we die through the law. It kills us. It's too holy and perfect and righteous and good. We can't follow it. We need to face the music or the gospel will never hit home. We cannot obey the law. It exposes us as completely unable to make ourselves acceptable to God. And Paul is speaking as a redeemed Christian. He doesn't want to use the law now. Now I can follow it. Now I can prove that I'm righteous through it. No, 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 no. He's died to the law. It's dead to Him. It's not there. You see? It's not there as a part of Paul being sanctified or becoming righteous. It's dead to Him. And He's dead to it. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The new age is here. Therefore, we are no longer under the law. 
Those who believe are now reckoned through Christ as alive to God. See, Paul wanted to live to God. So he finally let the law do what it was given to do. He finally agreed with the law in its assessment of him. You are unrighteous. Paul says, kill me. Kill me. I'm not righteous. I can't do it. Save me, Jesus. Save me. You make me righteous. You see... The law didn't come in so that he could become righteous enough for God to accept. The law was to crush him, to kill him, so that he would run to Christ for his only hope of salvation. God doesn't change. He's so holy. He's so holy. We have no hope but Christ. That's the function of the law, believer. To drive us to Christ. Paul's going to get into this. It's not to make us think we're righteous, but to prove to us that we're not. Who honestly believes they can keep it well enough to become righteous by it? And if we don't believe that, why try? When we do that, we only make ourselves a bigger transgressor. The trap is you will think you're getting better. That's the trap. We don't honor God when we shun the gift He gives so that we can give Him our gift of obedience. We just prove and increase our guilt. The law kills our attempt to be righteous on our own so that we can finally live. See, Jesus doesn't void the law. He fulfills the law. Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. You see that? I'm dead. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. When Jesus died, everyone who believes in Him also died. The old me, the old person who was in Adam is dead. He no longer lives. So think about this for a minute and let it thrill your heart no matter where you are in your walk with God. Let it thrill your heart. Who is living your life? You think Jesus ever stops being our substitute? Who is living the life by which you and I are acceptable to God? Who's doing that? You? No! You'd die if you try to do that. Christ is living in you. He's doing it. You see, do you see that, beloved church? Do you see it? You see what God has done for you, believer? Do you, do we realize on a daily basis what God the Father has done for us in His Holy Spirit through His Son Jesus Christ? We stop living. Right? I mean, I'm, Tony Romano's done. Now Tony Romano can finally live. All our effort, all our work, it's replaced by Christ in us. I'm still breathing, but I'm not the one living my life for God. It's Christ in me. He's, Paul is speaking of what it means to be delivered from the law. So do we realize that the, the 
the horrible accusation we're making to say to a believer, you, you aren't good enough. You aren't doing enough. Christ lives in me. So these lives are lived by faith, not works. That's the result of Christ living in me. We're not only saved by faith apart from works, we're sanctified by faith apart from works. Like, breathe out. It's done. That actually won't make you a passive, lazy sinner. It'll make you a redeemed one who's so happy they need nothing from other people so they finally serve them. You long to glorify God with your life. And beloved, increase your faith. We don't work our way into righteousness. We believe by faith that God has made us righteous in His Son. We live by faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And yet, what do we do to determine whether or not we have a right to rest in Christ? We look to our works. We look to what we can see. That's not living by faith. You don't... We don't know we're justified by what we can see. Salvation is not God saving you by grace and then pulling out the rug from under you. Now you have to work if you're really... No, 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 no. That's not the way works work. We don't see Christ living within us with our eyes. We see it with faith. And notice, Jesus is a Son who loves by giving. The God of the Bible loves and knows individual people. Paul says, Jesus loved me and gave Himself for me. Right? My personal salvation. He forgave my sin. Like, he doesn't forgive you like this, beloved. He knows. And He forgives it all. For all who believe in Him. You may not be a believer in Christ this morning. You may have walked in here with a rap sheet that runs from here to who knows where. You can walk out of here with it meaning nothing. This is the design of God the Father, that Christ, who loved me and gave Himself for me, lives within me now. If this is true, how can I not be righteous? Christ lives in me. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. That's what's at stake here. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Christ will do everything for you or He will do nothing for you. Justification is all Christ for you or it's nothing. It's all Jesus or there is no justification. The Judaizers didn't see the necessity or the sufficiency of Jesus. So what did they do because of that? They nullified the grace of God. Again, that's what's at stake in how we see our justification. Nobody in here wants to nullify the grace of God. I, I guarantee it. There's not a single believer in this room that wants to do that. We just don't realize sometimes that functionally that's how we live. 
Yeah, grace got me this far. No, tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Yep, amen. Right? That's why we sing that. That's why we have songs. Because there's a gospel. Paul is accusing these false teachers and every self-righteous person seeking to justify themselves before God by the law, by good works, of perverting everything and their attempt to become right with God through the law. To turn to the law to be made right with God in justification or sanctification is to nullify the grace of God now that Jesus has come. God did not remove His righteous requirement. It's just that somebody met it finally and then credits that obedience to the account of everyone who believes and God says, you're righteous. That's it. That's it. To turn to the law to be made right with God is to nullify the grace of God now that Jesus has come. Do you see the dichotomy the Bible creates between law and gospel? The distance it tells us is between the two of them. This verse summarizes the whole argument here. To to live any other way than by faith in the Son of God, in the sufficiency of Jesus for me, is to nullify the grace of God in Christ for me. That's the deal. Living by the law is the opposite of living by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith, grace, law, sight. There was not one single reason for Jesus to die if there was one single way for the law to make us righteous or to do His job for Him. The message should be crystal clear by now. The law cannot bring any of us into a right standing with God, nor can it keep us in a right standing with God. If it could do either, if justification or righteousness were through the law in any way, Jesus died for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Right? We, we have to, that's what we're saying. If we continue to think that by the law actually I'm made righteous. No, by a single sacrifice, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hebrews. To treat the death of Jesus as merely a percentage, even if it's 99%, even if it's 99.9 repeating, to treat His death as merely a percentage of why God accepts us is not to prove we're more righteous than others or more concerned with God's glory than others. It's to nullify God's grace and do Him the ultimate dishonor. Martin Luther said, It's bad enough that we're wicked transgressors against God's commandments, but we add the sin of all sins to it. We smugly reject His grace and the forgiveness of sins that are freely offered to us in Christ in order to try to make ourselves right with Him by our works. That's a horrible blasphemy, and we commit it so fast and so easily. Blake White shared this story from a theologian named Roger Nicole. Listen to this. If your house was burning down but your whole family escaped, and I came to you and said, let me show you how much I love you, and ran into the fiery house and died, you would say, what an idiot. But if one of your children was still in the house and I said, let me show you how much I love you, and ran into the fiery house and saved your child but died myself, you would say, behold how he loved us. Now, if you can save yourself by works, Jesus' death is not loving, it's pure stupidity. If, however, 
You are lost and dying and unable to save yourself. His death means everything. Beloved, we must put to death our desire to make ourselves right with God by our obedience. We are made right with God once and for all by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. This grace from God does not promote sin. Going backwards to try and submit to the law to become righteous promotes sin. It increases our sinfulness. We become transgressors. We are not drawing closer to God when we're working so hard to become righteous. We're moving further away because we're not living by faith in Christ. And again, the trap is that because we can check off obedience on a list, we think we are getting more righteous. The problem is that is to not take the law seriously enough. It is to demean it and belittle it and make it keepable. If you live by the law, then you will die by the law. So die to the law that you might be alive in the sight of God through faith in His Son. Be like Paul. I reject all of it. I don't want any of my obedience to be credited to my account. None of it. All Jesus. All Jesus. God will find something wrong in my best obedience. So let it be all Jesus. It's Jesus for salvation or it's nothing. He is the Lamb of God who takes away sins. He is the Son of God who is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. There is therefore right now no condemnation for all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Right now, all your sin is forgiven. All His righteousness is credited to your account. Christ lives in you. He loves you and gave Himself for you, believer, so that you might live We only get salvation if we take it for free. And listen, salvation is not God getting us to the starting line through the blood of Christ. But then we take care of our sinfulness from that moment on by doing good works. We basically atone for our own sins by making up for them. That's not salvation. That's not Christianity. One way saves. We are either made right with God through Christ Or we have to try to become right with God through works. One way saves. One way condemns. There are no other options. It's all Jesus for us or it's nothing. Beloved, what we believe about justification, about how we're made right with God, affects how we see everything. Everything comes back to this. We'll live like terrified slaves in danger of condemnation in every area of our lives if we reject the gospel we'll use people and we'll use things to make us feel right to make us feel loved to make us feel justified to make us feel whole do you see that's the root of what's going on in our homes right that's why marriage is fractured because we're looking to each other to save us when spouse, for example, when spouses argue, so often, what does it sound like? I've done so much for you. Right? I've done so much for you. Kid, you see that all of it comes back to justification. When we realize that God has made us right with Him, God the Father has made us right with Him through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, when we really believe it, 
Again, that's not, that's not like a degree of works. It's just when we really believe it, the horizontal is affected exponentially. And now that I no longer need you to affirm me, or accept me, or approve me, now that I no longer need myself, because that's the lie now, you got to love yourself and affirm yourself. Oh, shut up. It's so disgusting. There's a, I watched a, little, a movie with my little boy, and I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I watched a little a movie with my little boy yesterday, and I, it's so, like, it's so hard. This is going to sound so pompous. That's not what I mean. It's sometimes it's hard to watch movies as a preacher. Because, for one thing, you're looking at it for illustrations. You can't help it, right? The other thing is, like, you hear things and you just go, oh, my gosh. The song starts at the end, and the opening line is, I am phenomenal. I look at Carm, I'm like, how do I love this little boy? By assuring him he is not phenomenal. He needs a Savior. No, I'm not going to crush my little boy because that song is stupid. That's not what I mean. But like, you, it just, it gets, you either need the affirmation of others or you need the affirmation of self in order to be whole. Christ came to free us from this nonsense that is poison in the air we breathe. God has accepted me in Christ. And I don't deserve it. That's where I must find my identity. Or I will die every day because other people won't give it to me. Justification is everything. This is everything. Everything builds from here. Again, this is the new creation. Everything builds from here. Believe the gospel. Believe Jesus to be your forgiveness and your righteousness this morning, and you will be saved. Believers, believe that. Unbelievers, believe it. Believe it. We're going to sing together this final song. I'll be down front. If any of you need to come and pray, if you want to join our church and be a part of this church with us, now is the time to come. If you've believed on Christ, you need to be baptized. The front is open. We are here. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this time that you've given to us. How I thank you for your word of grace and of truth that brings the weight of the law to bear on us that we might see the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray for every person in this room to be able to believe on Jesus Christ for their salvation. I ask and pray these things in his name and for his sake in our midst. Amen.
I thank you for being here this morning, everyone. I have a, a, a wonderful announcement. Remember the dinner. We go out through this door. For those of you that are coming out through this door and in that, that hallway through to the gym, that'll be the only entrance possible. But also, this is Judy Kearns. Judy is here this morning to join our church by statement of faith and uh, really wants to be a part of our church. Um, that is a testament by her own mouth of your loving kindness towards her. And so... The, that, that is wonderful. Judy, join our church. Where do you live, Judy? Wellsburg. Wellsburg. Okay. All right. So Judy's normally with us on Sunday nights, here on each Sunday night, but is with us this morning uh, and is going to become a member of our church. So um, praise God for this. All right. Let's, let's pray. And yes, please. And as we close, please, please come forward and say, say hello to her. All right. Welcome her into our family. Let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves completely. Lord, may we embrace it and believe it. And Father, may it uh, comfort us and bring us peace and affect every part of our lives as it was meant to do. And we ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.